0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Yes, we are deep in the dark ages. If you had any question about that, just look around. Okay, today we're talking about breathing and lung health in a time of crisis. Now, this is hugely important because when you look at freedoms... Okay, your freedoms are definitely being limited and taken away, and people are voluntarily getting rid of those freedoms uh, because of fear and ignorance. Well, I want to let you know about a group, and this is really exciting. Uh, Imagine if if you um, had choice, okay, where you could actually choose to get a medical procedure or not, that you were up to yourself. Now, listen to this mission, Our mission, to save our families and future generations from tyranny, restore and defend our medical and health freedoms, and support candidates, leaders, organizations, and movements who believe in freedom, truth, and liberty. That's a good mission statement. So I encourage you to go to medicalfreedompac.com. That's medicalfreedompac.com. And read up about these people because it's an exciting group Dell Big Tree, Robert Kennedy. I mean, you know, a bunch of people are supporting it, and it makes sense. It's going to give us a chance to make a difference. Now, um, let's look at the psychosis, because when we're talking about breathing and lung health, we have to look at the restrictions that's being placed on patients. Uh, yesterday, I <clears throat> had one of our patients who, I mean, she's been with me for about 21 years. Um, and she 's now in her nineties she fell and got hurt and so you know i 've got to take an x-ray of her and she's she's has this heavy mask on that it 's really hard for her to breathe and she didn't she wasn't sick, nobody around her was sick, and so we had to take it off because she was getting dizzy and uh, so it it's so mind blowing that we're doing these fearful interventions of utilizing masks and we've covered the the technology and science or lack of science behind a mask being effective in multiple different programs. But let's just look because all the interventions that we're doing right now, are they really based in science or are they helping? Like shutting down the entire world economy, is that helping or harming? So let's just take a step back and look at the physiology. Since we're talking about lung health, you know, we've got to look at restricting air going into the body as, you know, possibly being a negative effect. I know, you could say, duh. Okay, <clears throat> well, if we look at the Spanish flu, because that's what idiots are always saying. Oh, what about the Spanish flu? It wiped out, you know, between 20 and 50 million people worldwide. Well, that's a big range. So obviously they're not really checking you know, if if you say, yeah, my car is worth between $20,000 and $50,000, okay, that's, that's too big of a range. So between 20 and 50 million fatalities worldwide, but that's 100 years ago. They didn't know about it. Do you know that 675,000 people in the U.S. died? But it took three years, okay, from February 2018 to April to, uh, 1920. Now, the Asian feud, Flu in uh, 57 to 58 were, caused um, 116,000 deaths in the U.S. The Hong Kong flu, 1968 to 72, killed more than 100,000 people in the U.S. And none of this stopped, we didn't stop any economic uh, shutdown or quarantining healthy people or labeling businesses as essential and non essential. Well, here's an article, you can get it from The Hill. And the article is, The COVID-19 Shutdown Will Cost Americans Millions of Years of Life. Okay, and this was printed in March 25th. And uh, it's, it's interesting because this article goes in, uh, listen to this, quote, We calculate that these policies will cause devastating non-economic consequences that will total millions of accumulated years of life lost in the United States far beyond what the virus itself has caused. Uh, Now listen to this quote. They need to be aware of the devastating effects in the terms of lost life from shutting down significant parts of the economy. The belated acknowledgement of leaders of their irreparable harms from lockdown is not nearly enough. They need to emphatically and widely inform the public of these serious consequences and reassure them of their concerns for all human life by strongly articulating the rationale for reopening society. End of quote. So this article goes on to explain, and it's from thehell.com. Um, it, it's, it's insane that a government... Would impose restrictions that have never been imposed on humans before, quarantining healthy people, I, uh, locked in your homes, locked down, uh, limiting your airflow, wearing constant, um, you know, doing Purell, hand sanitizers, face masks constantly. And, and the stress that that's going to cause the emotional upset, the loss of jobs. I mean, figure 40% of the businesses that were closed will not open. Okay, so the article goes on to state, quote, the end of the loss of life from economic lockdown, businesses as well as K-12 through schools, public transportation, parks, beaches, should smartly reopen with enhanced hygiene and science-based protections. For most of the country, that reopen should occur now without any unnecessary fear based restrictions, many of which repeat the error of disregarding the evidence. By, follow, by following a thoughtful analysis that has finally recognized all available actions and their consequences, we can save millions of years of American life. When the next pandemic arises, we need to remember the lessons and follow the policies and consider the lives of. Um, consider the lives of all Americans from the outset. I mean, brilliant. Now, what they go on to um, state is that uh, unemployment-related fatalities total around 7,200 per month. Now, assuming that these deaths occur across all the ages of the U.S., that's around 200,000 lost years of life for each month the shutdown. Uh, now think of this: if a person, say the average person is going to live around 80, just just to make the math, it's actually 78. You know, and women are a little bit, or men are a little bit, um, die earlier. But on average, say the average American is going to live to 80. So if you're 75 years old and you have a bunch of comorbid conditions. Uh, you're type 2 diabetes, you're taking five or six different drugs, and you die of COVID, you've lost five years of potential life. Um, but if you're a 14-year-old that commits suicide because of the economic shutdown and the anxiety, you've lost uh, around uh, 66 years of life. Okay, so so just in perspective. So that's what they're talking about, life years. Now, um, based on the expected remaining life of these COVID patients, and given that 40% of deaths are in nursing homes, the disease is responsible for about 800,000 years of life so far. So in the six months of uh, totaling this, um, the the years life lost since 40% of the deaths are in nursing homes, about 800,000 years of life have been lost. However, Uh, conservative estimates that the national lockdown is responsible for 700,000 lost years of life every month, or about 1.5 million so far, far surpassing COVID-19. That's right. The deaths from the economic shutdown, the deaths from the government intervention is worse than the disease. Back in February, one of the first videos that I did that was deleted um, for not following community guidelines uh, (laughs) off of YouTube was actually, I said, look, I'm not afraid of the virus. My immune system, I'm designed to live on this planet. My body knows how to handle viruses. Okay, if I'm sick, I need to get my body healthy. Otherwise, viruses will attack you or take advantage of that weakening of the tissue so, but I was afraid, and I still am concerned about the government interventions okay to supposedly fight this virus because people are willing willingly giving up their um their their freedoms for security, and I gotta tell you, the people that give up freedom for security get neither. I think that's actually a quote um then we look okay. I mean, the number of lives lost, okay, in the U.S., they say, uh, listen to this, quote, with an average estimate of one additional life loss per um, 17 million in income loss, that would translate to 65,000 lives lost in the U.S. for each month of the economic shutdown. Okay, yeah, that's 300,000 people die from just the economic shutdown. And those are lives lost, not life lost years, Yeah, it's time we change. There's another um, article out of the Gateway Pundit. Suicide versus corona deaths. The study finds economic crisis could lead to 831,000 suicides. That's four times the number of death rates from the uh, coronavirus. That's right. So how does this equate to lung health and breathing? Uh, Because it has to do with the stress response. When we look at our body, our body responds through physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. There's a huge amount of physical stressors by being locked inside, not being able to walk, putting a constant mass on, constantly covering your body in Purell, which pierces the skin and damages your normal gut flora. Aside from the emotional stress, when you're looking at people wearing these protective coverings some of them not wearing protective coverings, not being sure what restrictions are going to be placed in, or put in place, or, or taken away, um, because nobody knows what's going to happen next week. Particularly in psychotic um, states like California, New York, uh, you know, if you're in Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, uh, states that did not shut down, that actually have intelligent thinking government employees. Um, But no, in ours, we have these um, uh, just just power-crazed, tyrannical leaders that do not have authority to tell people to wear a mask, but they're telling people to wear a mask, and they're acting like they do have the authority. It's it's mind-blowing. But all this is putting you in a stress state and figure we have this automatic nervous system. One part keeps you alive under stress and that's the sympathetic or fight or flight. And the other half of this is called the rest, digestion, repair. And that's how your body regenerates tissue. So people are in a fight or flight state now. What does that mean? Does that mean that high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, um, all of these stressors aren't diseases? They're really adaptations to physical, chemical, or emotional stress? That's true, they are adaptations. When we look at low-functioning thyroid, how many people are diagnosed right now with high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and low-functioning thyroid? Even though none of those are diseases, they're all adaptations to stress. That's physical, chemical, or emotional stress. So we have to look at these diseases different, particularly when people who are dying, people who are dying, not necessarily from the corona, but the people in the nursing homes the people that, are, that get the seasonal flu, that die every winter, and figure that 2017 18, over 100,000 people are dying from this. And they say between 30 and 100,000 people every year die of the flu in America. And we've got a flu shot. So, how, you know, people are all excited about once we get the vaccine, we get the chance to go back to normal for the corona. However, that's not true because if you give up your rights and you get a forced medical procedure to go back to what you consider normal, you're giving up those personal rights for the rest of your life. You will be forced to have that shot every year. And what do we know about the comorbid conditions? We know that's what kills 99, or actually 97.9% and greater of everyone that dies from this dies with a comorbid condition. We know that if you take blood pressure drugs, that every time you take one blood pressure drug, your risk of stroke increases. We know that, that um, autonomic dysfunction, okay, that means a person that's in a fight or flight or stress state, that's the, the regardless of the cause, that is the underlying factor of most diseases, most chronic diseases. So let's look at actual lung function. You have a nerve that supplies the diaphragm. This nerve is called the phrenic nerve. It comes out of the base of the neck. And here's the analogy. Because when I would teach anatomy, we had these certain mnemonics so people would remember it. C3, C4, C5 keeps you alive. C stands for cervical, which is the neck area. C3, C4, C5 keeps you alive. And that's the origin of the phrenic nerve. Now the phrenic nerve... Supplies the diaphragm, okay, and this is the breathing muscle. Now, it, do me a favor, just take a deep breath in. <sighs> okay, now, if your chest moved and your tummy went in when you're breathing in, you're breathing horribly, okay? So, when you're breathing, the diaphragm, which is a flat um, muscle, it starts off dome shape, but when you breathe in, it flattens out. So you're literally massaging the organs. But when that diaphragm contracts, the stomach contents have to come out. So if you ever see a little child belly breathing, it's called diaphragmatic breathing. Singers do diaphragmatic breathing. People that run marathons do diaphragmatic breathing. Well, I'm going to show you how to do diaphragmatic breathing. So put one hand on your chest, one hand on your tummy. And what you're gonna do, the hand on your tummy, act like someone's gonna punch you in the stomach. Okay, and this is what I tell my patients. I said, okay, I'm gonna punch you in the stomach. And they look at me weird, then I say, think of this, if someone punch you in your stomach, are you gonna breathe in, or all your air is gonna come out? They say all the air is gonna come out, exactly. So, so here, your hand on your tummy, you're gonna blow out while you push your tummy out. So blow out, blow out, blow out. And your tummy goes in, now breathe in. But push your hand out with your tummy. So your chest isn't moving. So low out, you push your tummy in, breathe in, your tummy comes out. So that's like a bellows. Think of like the bellows at the blacksmith shop. So this is going to, um, when you're breathing diaphragmatically, and if you've had a couple of breaths, you might even feel a little dizzy almost. and That's because you're using the bottom two-thirds of your lungs, which is the larger surface area. So diaphragmatic breathing, you're actually breathing in better okay, and, hydra- and, and getting more oxygen to the tissue. That's hugely important. Now, when you're breathing, know that you have these little tiny grape sacs called alveoli, and those alveoli have to constrict, uh, contract and expand, contract and expand. So they're always opening and closing, so they need a lubricant. That lubricant is called surfactant, and it turns out that if you're fully hydrated, beautiful, then your body produces this wonderful amount of lubricant that allows the oxygen-carbon dioxide transfer to go through, and this this helps the lungs function correctly. However, if you're dehydrated, and let me tell you if you're breathing air in through a face mask, if you're uh, not drinking enough water, if you're in a stress state, you're more than likely dehydrated. Plus, a lot of the medications uh, that, that the inhalers do stimulate that fight-or-flight state, the sympathetics, and that also dehydrates you out. Well, if you're fully hydrated, your lungs produce the lubricant called surfactant. If you're dehydrated, your lungs produce this heavy, thick mucus that doesn't do a good oxygen transfer. This is why people with uh, asthma have 10 times the amount of, of mucus in their lungs than somebody who doesn't have asthma. So hydration is hugely important. And knowing that most people are um, dehydrated but they're in a stressed state, that means they can't produce minerals or, or absorb minerals. So you need to produce a healthy amount of stomach acid in order to get mineral absorption. You have to have minerals in order to get water into the cell. So you can see there's a number of different things that will cause you to have poor hydration. So what we need to do is put a little pinch of sea salt in the water, uh, increase your plant-based mineral consumption, and drink more healthy water. That's going to get the surfactant production up. But then let's look at some interesting things. There's a real cool study about the British Medical Journal on how viruses are beneficial for asthma. And the objective of the study was to investigate the association between early childhood infections and subsequent development of asthma. Repeated viral infections other than lower respiratory tract in, in early life may reduce the risk of developing asthma. Whoa, so it turns out that we're designed to be exposed to viruses. Um, Isn't that interesting? If we went deep into it, 45% of your DNA is viral. And in fact, you have 387 trillion viruses. Figure you have 10 times the amount of bacteria than cells. You have 10 times the number of viruses versus bacteria. So you are talking, you are inundated with hundreds of thousands of viruses, now, why do viruses negatively affect the body? Well, they only affect you if you have weakened tissue, like a chronic stress state or some comorbid condition, just like every other virus. It doesn't attack healthy people. Now, when we look at the Journal of Clinical and Experimental Allergy, antibiotic use in the infancy may be associated with an increased risk of developing asthma. Sure enough, and so what kind of antibiotics are we exposed to? Right now, we're exposed to um, glyphosates, which is a mineral chelator and an antibiotic uh, in all grain products that aren't organic. So that's destroying the. it has an antibiotic property, wiping out our, our healthy flora. The antibiotics in the meat can also do it and then chlorine, fluoride, bromine, all those things, the cleaners that we're using now, okay, the Purell, all of that pierces the hand. It destroys the normal um, the normal flora of your skin and can actually pierce the skin and cause damage. So we know that you're exposed to antibiotics and chemicals. When we look at um, mechanical distortion, remember, if you look at the different diseases that people are experiencing, um, they're generally adaptations to stress. They're not really diseases. I, I know it sound, sounds odd. Now, uh, take blood pressure, for instance. If you're taking a drug to lower your blood pressure for every one degree, or um, uh, in the old days, because people will say, well, yeah, blood pressure is supposed to be 120 over 80. No, that was actually in 1997, and that was 120 over 80, or 1994. When we look at now, um, if you're over 60, it's 115 over 75. Uh, Well, that was in 2004. So in 1997, it was 120 over 80, normal. In 2004, it was 115 over 75, that was normal. Now if you're over 60, it's 150 over 90. So the the fact that science is not chiseled in stone, that we take um, we take different information and come up with different hypotheses, that's ideal. That's what we need to do. We need to to take new data and change our approach. Uh, when you're looking, because we're talking about the health of the lungs. We know that cervical spine, the C3, C4, C5, keeps you alive. We also have to look at the gut system because the gut is an ecosystem. This is absolutely vital for its 80% of your immune system. So what kind of things damage the gut? We're looking at chronic stress, shuts nerve supply down, antibiotics, genetically modified foods, vaccinations and processed foods. That damages the gut and that damages the lungs. When we look at cholesterol-lowering drugs, what do they do? According to their expert review of clinical pharmacology, if you take a drug to lower cholesterol, it increases heart failure and um, hardening of the arteries. And that was out of 2015. When we look at clinical cardiology, statin therapy is associated with decreased heart muscle function. Stat, uh, if we look at the Journal of Atherosclerosis, Statin use increased prevalence of coronary artery plaques. Now think of that. When we're looking at these patients that are supposedly dying with COVID, not from COVID, but they have it with COVID, but they do have other comorbid conditions, do you think they're taking cholesterol drugs? Do you think that the cholesterol-lowering drugs, increasing placking, causing low heart function, can negatively affect their immune system? Yes or yes. I mean it's mind blowing that people are not going in to these facilities where forty percent of all deaths are occurring, you know the assisted living facilities, and getting people on healthy nutrients and supplements and finding out why they're taking the drugs. They're not going the the governing authorities are not going in to these health care facilities and looking at who is. In danger, and who is not, by altering their medications or diet. We know that that um, these antibiotics uh, cause a leaky gut leak, leak, or increased intestinal permeability. We know that that's a sign uh, or one of the symptoms of early um, Parkinson's disease. That's right. Parkinson's patients have increased intestinal permeability, and this was published back in December 2001. Um, and we know <laughs> that the World Health Organization, okay, they still recommend people should not wear masks unless they're sick. And it's, it's really interesting because uh, I was watching this, this, and it's off the World Health Organization site, they say, quote, develop a policy on wearing a face mask or covering in line with national or local guidance because mask may carry some risks if not properly used. And then they give a reference. So I went to the reference on the World Health Organization side and they said masks can cause damage if there's self-contamination that can occur by touching or reusing contaminated, a contaminated mask. And depending on the type of mask used, there could be potential breathing difficulties. And that's the World Health Organization. No kidding, because we know that if you're touching the mask, if you're moving it, if you're moving it around, you've already contaminated it. Masks are not designed to be worn by healthy people outside. Okay, that's not what they're for. To be worn, you know, all the time you're up walking around. It's limiting the oxygen going in. You're rebreathing carbon dioxide. You're putting your body under oxidative stress. It's insane. Um, uh, and also, since we're talking about the lack of science and how media is not following it, we know the schools are going to be opening, and what's going to happen to our children? Well, we've got a, a thing from the California Department of Education that says schools will reopen. But the kids are designed they're, they're going to be forced to wear masks. They're going to limit the teachers and students to 12. There's going to be social distancing six feet apart, the reduced bus capacity, no general lunches, no restre- uh, recesses and staggered learning. So it'll be near impossible for kids to develop lasting friendships. They're going to be put in a fear-based thing where even the teachers are wearing masks and they won't be able to communicate with facial expressions. What is this going to do, the psychology of our children? When we know that they made these recommendations of social distancing that is killing more people than the virus itself, the interventions by the government are killing more people than the virus itself and we're initiating these insane recommendations of mask-wearing, social isolation, social distancing, no lunch and no recess for our children. Would you like to see the psychological outcome of that? I would too. Okay, so let's look at the nutrients that you could take for healthy lung function. Vitamin C, absolutely incredible. Vitamin C is a powerful antioxidant. Get it in whole food form, but it helps protect your lungs from free radical damage. So if you're wearing that mask, by God, you've got to get some vitamin C. Vitamin A, again, super huge, important for the lungs. And if you look at... Vitamin A, along with vitamin D, K2, zinc, and magnesium, oh my gosh, you're talking the one of the best things in the world for health. Now, vitamin A, you can get it from liver, from pasture, um, pasture-raised eggs, raw milk. You can also get um, uh, vitamin A from carotenoids-rich food, like carrots, sweet potatoes, kale. Um, you can look at cruciferous vegetables, which are fantastic. So. I mean, truly, let food be your medicine and medicine be your food. Let's take back our health freedoms. Let's get common sense back into your decision making. Check out medicalfreedompack.com. Uh, if, if you can, man, support them, um, look at their their platform. Uh, Also, look at Bergman Family Chiropractic. Look at Extreme Health Academy. Our YouTubes are being censored. And go over to BitChute to get that. But we're going to have all this presented live on Facebook tonight. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you. I love you.